Hi, everyone. I'm Ryan Lozanis, and you're listening to the first official episode of the Future Firm Accounting Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matthew May and Kenji Kuramoto, who are both partners at one of the leading cloud accounting firms in the U.S., Acuity, out of Atlanta, Georgia. In 2019, Acuity was ranked by Accounting Today as one of the best firms to work for in the U.S. and one of the best firms for technology. I'm looking forward to speaking to them about their story, how they got there, what they do to keep on their toes, and how they keep innovating. Without further ado, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Thanks Ryan. for having us. So um, maybe we can just kind of kick it off, guys, by just giving a brief introduction of yourself. Um, Kenji, maybe we can start with you and you can pass it over to uh, Matthew, uh, your partner in crime after that. That sounds good. Um, so I started my career out in global public accounting at Arthur Anderson right out of college. So I was there in their, in their audit practice in Atlanta, Georgia for about four or five years. Um, Left right around, I guess, 2000, and that was right around the kind of the tech boom. I'd been working on some tech clients, and there were lots of accountants kind of getting snapped up to go help with that initial uh, tech kind of build up and everyone going public. Of course, once I got to this company, uh, the bubble burst, and then it became kind of holding on for dear life. So I kind of got to cut my teeth in the controller and then the CFO role of kind of an early stage tech company that was that went very quickly from hey we're going to file an S1 and go public to now we're literally just trying to keep the doors open and make payroll um was there for about another 4 years and then that's when the idea for acuity came about um another friend of mine and I'd been kind of talking about it I had started spending a little more time with other kind of entrepreneurs and people were kind of asking for advice and counsel about how to build a pro forma model or fundraising and things like that. I just was really enjoying those conversations. And so in thinking more about that, I was like, I wonder, you know, we, we kind of wondered if there was a business model around uh, doing that. Could we fractionalize some of our CFO, you know, and controller skill set and apply them to kind of high growth early stage companies? And so I, I went to, to my wife, who was very, very pregnant at the time with our second child. So she was amazing when I, when I told her I wanted to quit my CFO job and start Acuity. And she, she agreed. I promised her, you know, we'd just give it six months. And if it didn't work, I'd have good stories to go tell when I went back out to look for another job. But um, we got some good initial traction and certainly found there was a need to get, um, especially by entrepreneurs and smaller businesses that hadn't traditionally had access to those higher level of financial resources. And so we had some early success and kind of grew our controller and CFO practice. Um, very focused on just the Atlanta market. So this is kind of pre-cloud, if you will. And you know, it was we were limited basically to serve clients that we could you know, drive to in a reasonable amount of time. Um, but then kind of started thinking more and more about, uh, we were getting asked by our clients about other services, things like bookkeeping and lower level work and um, avoided that for quite a while, but kind of started kicking around the idea of, well, maybe we could do something more back office support-like for these early stage businesses. And um, around that time, Matthew and I had become good friends and we actually, we were, we were referring work back and forth and Matthew will tell you about that, you know, where he was at. But um we kind of just both built a bond and friendship over a number of things. One, one, our love of Atlanta Falcons football down here, but also 
um, the fact that we both did have a pretty strong passion for entrepreneurs and technology and, and accounting, which uh, I don't know that many that that we knew there were many other people that were kind of that much of kind of geeks that liked those things. And so while we were, I'd been kind of kicking around the idea of this outsourced back office um, is really when Matthew and I started putting our heads together and, and I uh, somehow convinced him to come over and join us at Acuity. So that was probably what Matthew about six years ago, six years ago, believe yeah. it or not. That's probably a good time for you to jump in and give your background. Sure. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I made it longer in public accounting than Kenji did. Uh, <laughs> I survived. Uh, so I made it all the way to partner. Uh, I took a, a break during the dot-com days to do a startup. Uh, we ended up selling a, a million dollar revenue business for $108 million in 2000, wow. uh, right before the bubble burst. Um, and I learned, uh, you know, the controller doesn't make very much on those, uh, outcomes. Uh, that's, that was the, the lesson learned on that one, but it was a great, uh, great experience. Four years, uh, two years in the startup, um, and then two years in the fortune 100 that bought us, um, uh, got exposed to some interesting concepts back then, including a shared service center, uh, the fortune, it was, uh, fortune 100 at that time had, a uh, a thousand business units and used a centralized accounts payable department, which, uh, Later was really interesting as we were trying to scale kind of accounts payable across, you know, all of our clients. Um, but uh, ended up making, uh, I ended up being an audit partner uh, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia at a top 25 firm. Um, starting in about, I guess, um, I guess probably 2010 uh, in what I call the push for partner phase. Uh, I started branding myself as the tech CPA, which is my Twitter handle and started focusing um, kind of only on technology companies and supporting technology companies from an audit perspective. And that's why I ran into Kenji because they had very similar, um, he and his partner had a very similar business at that time uh, at Acuity. And uh, once his partner left in uh, 2000, and I guess it was 2012, uh, we started talking early 2013. Um, and it was a good time for us to, to join forces and, I ended up uh, walking away from my accounting partnership, which was what you're supposed to like do when you get an accounting degree in the United States. You're supposed to make accounting partner, and and uh, and uh, and and then you're supposed to just love it for the rest of your life. And I uh, ended up uh, really liking working with small businesses more. So Kenji and I found a way to do that at Acuity as opposed to um, kind of going back. And so I'm a recovering auditor now. I like to tell mm -hmm. people. And uh, that's how we, how we got started. Yeah. And, and that's interesting, actually, Like you don't see most people work up to partner. Like what, what size firm was it that, that you were at previously? We were about a hundred million in revenue. So about 150 partners, uh, kind of really top tier, top 25 t um, firms. So, you know, there were eight, eight to 10 of the audit partners. There are eight of us signing public company audits, uh, at the time, and I was one of those guys. Uh, I mean, it was interesting. Uh, you know, it would. I had survived the Sarbanes Oxley push. Um, you know, we lived through that, and so this is. Uh, you know, I just really liked the. I say we put the S and the SMB at Acuity. I really like the small business market, and um, you know, in public accounting, you really have to go up market to those hundred million dollar revenue companies and. Audits are just check the box list. You're really not adding any value at that that point. I kind of like working with companies that we can help. 
And how big was Acuity at that point? We were we were uh, small. Yeah, that's because this is eight of us. <laughs> there were yeah, there were we used to bounce between like eight and twelve people like that. We just kind of hit a ceiling and a bit of a max where um, this is this is probably a question that Matthew gave you in advance. It's his favorite question to answer. <laughs> we were small before when Matthew yeah. joined up with us. We were, <laughs> you know, and very candidly, when I had started kind of working on the outsourced accounting stuff, we were. I was spreading myself way too thin. And in fact, we were probably, and even in that first year when Matthew and I joined up, we had, we had some real challenges to where um, it certainly would not have, Acuity would not, would not have probably even survived had it not been Matthew jumping in. But not just that, like it, it was, we had great ideas, but we were way too spread out. We were just trying to do too many things at once. And so, um, yeah, we were probably at eight people Probably heading heading downward in, in headcount, Matthew. I mean, I would I would yeah. fair. Why heading downward though? What, what what was the reason for that? Like you said, spread uh, too thin. But like, what were you doing that was like spreading yourself too thin? I really had to stabilize Acuity when I joined. <laughs> Kenji was just letting that everything fall apart. No, um, uh, actually, it was an odd, uh, like an odd situation. We had a I had a a ninety day requirement. Um, so we, when we, by the time we put the deal together, um, we probably just miscalculated this, uh, was in February. And, um, I thought the firm was going to walk me out, um, that I was at, not that I had done anything bad, but that was just what I had seen always happened. Instead, they asked me to stay my full 90 days. So I had to stay based on my partnership agreement through May 31st. So I didn't get to start till June 1st. And we had put this deal together in February of 2013, I think we miscalculated, uh, you know, in, in everybody's head, I was already there. So some of the responsibilities just weren't getting done as because I was going through a full audit busy season. Yeah. Uh, so that was a real big initial challenge uh, yeah. coming out of the gate. And then um, so and then obviously when new people come, you're talking about <laughs> new partnerships. You have, you know, other CFOs that aren't partners, you know, um, that uh, that may have their feathers ruffled, you know, controllers, other people. I have a different style than, than Kenji's previous partner. You have all those dynamics going on at the same time, you know? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of moving pieces. And, and like Matthew mentioned, I had bought out my partner, not quite, basically the year before, not quite the year before. But um, so then it went from two of us had been running it, who were the initial founders, then just Kenji running it. And, and one of the things that, that the challenges that I face is I just get so many ideas and I, and I have a harder time. I feel like the, the longer I've become kind of more of an entrepreneur is just wanting to get all these different ideas going. And so at the time I had been um, a billable CFO for a bunch of our really kind of bigger name marquee clients. And that was, I was having a hard time extricating myself from that. So I was doing the work, carrying a pretty heavy billable load. I was trying to run and oversee the controller and CFO practices launched this back office outsourced bookkeeping practice and it was it was just starting to take a toll it was something that i had a lot of energy and excitement about but my ability to really focus on any of those areas and do any of them well was really becoming impaired um and so i think that's where that like and then like matthew mentioned um just getting some of all those transitional things kind of done and done quickly behind us once we did, we really saw then the uptick 
Um, and thankfully, because we needed it, I mean, the uptick in where the firm started moving at a pretty quick trajectory. But yeah, it was <laughs> it was rough back in those early years. Cool. And um, so Acuity, when it started, is very different than what it is today, right? I think Acuity would be considered more of that traditional type firm when you started. You said you were, you know, driving around, going to meet your clients, um, you know, maybe not fully cloud-based or at all. Um, like maybe you can tell me about a bit about the transformation, the story behind the transformation of the firm. Was it a very gradual transformation? Did you just wake up one day and say, you know, uh, you know, this is not what the future looks like? Like, how did that transformation come about? Well, well, for me, you know, I think it came about. It built up over time. So back in public accounting. Um, you know, you're, you're tracking hours, you're doing this kind of a bit of an older school business development, you're going to go out to clients, all that. When I went to this tech company that I mentioned, we still had a very, very large technology services arm. So there was still a lot of billable hours and billable time. And then going into starting Acuity, same model, billable time. And so I just really, I think after a few years in was just feeling that fatigue of, oh my gosh, this this, you know, am I, am I always, is the only value that I'm going to have be measured in just terms of my own personal time? And I think that fatigue, it just kind of caught up with me and thinking there's got to be a better way to deliver some of these accounting services. And a, a nice benefit of the client base is our strongest client base, which has tended to be technology companies and very specifically now SaaS technology companies is they all have recurring revenue models, or at least are pushing for that. So we got to watch that. I got to watch that shift firsthand from enterprise software, which was the norm, into recurring SaaS software. And so got to see behind kind of the veil all the mechanics and the financials of what happens when you build a recurring revenue practice or any kind of revenue model. And started honestly just becoming very obsessed with that. Like how do we how do we change the dynamic to where it's not just I only pay you for an hour of your time. And so I think it was that buildup over three different businesses, you know, public accounting, the tech company I was at, then early on Acuity to where it just felt like there had to be a better way. But once I started seeing examples of how it can work in a different industry like SaaS technology, I know that I became rather obsessed with making that change pretty quickly. And then it, it, it certainly only fueled the fire when I had someone like Matthew who was really seeing and probably experiencing some of those same things when we could kind of come together and like, all right, how do we, how do we do this at a more rapid pace? But yeah, that's, that, that's how we kind of came about making that transformation. And then tactically, we, um, when we launched the bookkeeping practice, we mandated, and this was easy because we didn't have one before, we mandated that it would be cloud-based only. So we didn't do it across our whole um, our legacy client base or our whole client base, we still had our controller practice and our CFO practice, but tactically we, we did say, if you have one of our bookkeepers, it's, they're not going to be on site ever. Even if you're in Atlanta, <laughs> we're just not going to come to you. And, and that was a big, uh, big kind of demarcation point, I think from a mentality shift. And that bled into kind of over time, the CFO practice and the controller practice, because all of those people that had bookkeeping only services, you know, they were used to working that way. And that was part of, they, they, they liked working that way even. Uh, and so we've seen that bleed into the other practices kind of more slowly over time. But um, initially it was like 
straight off the bat for the bookkeeping practice, but then gradual for the controller and CFO practice, I would say. So that's that's interesting what you say when you mandated certain software, for instance. Like why why mandate software? Um, and uh, yeah, why would you mandate software, for instance? And is there other things that you mandate um, uh, or require a, a, a client to kind of uh, conform to uh, if you're going to be working with them? Sure. I mean, um, just philosophically, um, I'm of the belief that you can only be good at a, a few things, most people. Uh, so we mandate, mandated, we didn't kind of limit to just one, but we said, okay, these are the two software packages for your core general ledger. And we said QuickBooks Online and Zero. We said, we're only going to train people on these two platforms for our bookkeeping practice. Again, we did the same thing we did with remote. We only mandated in our bookkeeping practice. We didn't mandate in our CFO and controller practice. And then from there, uh, we were able to establish expertise. I mean, I, I would tell you our head of bookkeeping knows Zero and QuickBooks better than anybody at Intuit or Zero um, from an operational perspective because of this. Uh, it's really fascinating. Yeah, it's it's. Um, we were pretty clear that when we knew we were going to launch something that was you know fixed or value based pricing that we were going to have to find some way to at least have really kind of nailed the scope of work. And so what we, what we did, and I'm a little surprised that more firms haven't done this is, um, and maybe it's because we came out of advisory work first and we had been kind of agnostic as to different accounting platforms, but we just honestly tried to take our best you know, shot at, Okay, if we're going to go cloud, which is the way to deliver virtual services, and to Matthew's point, not get ourselves driving to people's client sites, is okay. What are the best cloud softwares out there? And so the way we looked at it was in terms of market share, you know. And it was pretty easy to go. Okay, QBO has very large market share. Well, let's look at who's next. Well, okay, this kind of upstart zero did, and then it really fell off there. And when we looked at that in early assessments, we're like, okay, it's you know, yeah, we could probably focus just on QuickBooks Online, but like if we also did zero, I think that pretty much takes up almost all the market share, the demonstrable market share of anyone using cloud accounting software. Now let's see how difficult it is to cross-train employees on those two platforms. Like if it was good, if, we, if it was going to be very, very difficult, like oh, skills that you learn for doing work on QuickBooks Online don't apply to zero, we probably would have made some different determinations, but we found literally no problem being able to cross train our team members on either platform for us. So for us, it was a, you know, it's a calculated look at going, okay, well, let's not make it harder. Let's, yes, we knew there was going to be some headwinds with trying to convince people to go on the cloud accounting software. We did find that business owners are much more amenable to that than accountants are. So that actually wasn't as hard as we thought, but then let's, you know, let's not try to limit our, the market by, you know, um, only cutting off one and following just one particular software vendor if our team can manage both. And so, I mean, that's something to me that's always been a little bit of a surprise um, is that more firms probably don't take that approach. But, you know, I guess to each their own in some sense. For us, that's that's been beneficial. Got it. Yeah, I think the, the only controversial thing we did was not support QuickBooks Enterprise in a VPN. And we had, um, I guess, two two main reasons we could do that. Uh, one, Kinchi did this research one time of Intuit's 
10K and realized how much R&D was going into QuickBooks Online versus QuickBooks Enterprise. So we wanted to build the firm of the future. Mm -hmm. And it was clear that they were stopping building on enterprise. And second, the target market that we were going after, which SaaS technology companies, didn't need QuickBooks Enterprise. So that no inventory, none of that stuff. They were not for profits. They didn't need any of the, they didn't check any of the boxes that need the functionality of QuickBooks Enterprise at the time. This is six years ago. So um, that was that was probably the most controversial thing we did was not support yeah, that. Yeah, I, I guess some of those old public accounting skills still actually, it was, it was kind of nice to dust some of those off of having to you know rip apart MDNA hmm. sections of 10Ks and look at segment data. But yeah, that was, that was, that was something revealing when we looked at it. We're like, wow, okay, they're really not pouring. I mean, when we looked at where they were pouring those R&D efforts, we're like, okay, this is, unless they're way, way wrong, this has got to be where everyone's moving into the cloud. So that helped us at least. And um, and you said that you were looking to build the firm of the future. And even when I look online, I think I might have saw this on your website. You said you, something along the lines is, this is 21st century accounting. What is 21st century century accounting exactly? I, I think of it as um, making sure that the accounting function in someone's in someone's business is moving at the same pace that the rest of their operational functions. We heard way too often from a lot of our clients as they were becoming new clients saying, you know, the whole rest of my business, sales, marketing, operations, my development team, they're all using modern platforms and tools. And, you know, the only one part about our business that feels very archaic is the accounting function because we've got this old bookkeeper, this accountant that's keeping us on this particular piece of desktop software because it's easier for them to get the tax returns done. And so we heard that quite a bit. And for us, when we think about just modernizing, we were seeing that small business owners and entrepreneurs are constantly modernizing. And we just felt there was this gap between the services that accountants were providing and where business owners were. And so can we just come in and fill that gap? And almost can we just catch up to the pace the tools and systems that small business owners are using because most of them have no issue with going to the cloud. I think that cloud versus desktop discussion has been such one that's been so stuck within our profession that we're in there debating. And we just have failed to really ask what the business owner wants. Do you think that's still a debate though? Or do you think we're, we're over that now? Um, yeah, go ahead. Matthew, you take that one. I'm tired of the discussion at least. <laughs> I don't think there's a debate. But uh, I, I think uh, I still hear it talked about. Yeah, sometimes. I don't either. I, I, I think it's. I think we're pretty close to kind of being being over it. But it, it still surprises me um, how much it does pop up when we're not out amongst. You know, oftentimes we get a little bit of that vacuum where we're talking to like you, Ryan, or to other. I think kind of more forward thinking you know, firm owners, and so we get a little bit in that bubble and think that everybody's there. And I am a little bit surprised when. We had to events or conferences where it's a little bit more representative of the overall profession, where there still is a little bit of that hangout. But I, I think hopefully we're about done with that. And Acuity today, so based out of Atlanta, um, how many on the team? What sort of services are you offering? Maybe you can just kind of briefly briefly give an overview there. Sure. Uh, we, we have four practice lines now. So we have a CFO, controller, um, which we'd always had, um, the bookkeeping or cloud accounting, which we added uh, when we talked about. And then last year we added tax. Uh, so we we're kind of doing everything backwards with everybody yeah. else we talked to. Um, the team's up to about 80 people. Uh, I think we have 80 people in 
what is it, like 10 states and three countries? Sounds right. Yeah. And then we have one of our onboarders tends to be travel the world all the time. So right now he's in the U.S., and, but uh, he's going to be in the U.K. and then Argentina. Uh, so that's uh, that's what the team cool. looks like. And, um, you know, you um, I saw an article from Accounting Today, uh, 2019, relatively recent, where um, Acuity was named one of the best firms to work for. Um, so congrats on that. I guess that's, uh, that's something you guys must be pretty proud of. It's, it's, uh, it's not easy be building a, a good culture and a, and a good work environment. Um, so when I think you guys embrace remote work, um, when did you start embracing that? Has it always been that way? Did you just move to that recently? Um, tell me a little bit about like the culture at Acuity and, and why you think that, um, you know, you were, you were named one of the best firms to work for in the country. Well, in, in appreciate you saying that it is something we're proud of. Um, but we're really, I know Matt and I are really proud of that. I think we have such great team members who, who speak up and tell us what they want. Um, and we just try to do our best to listen to that. We're not always great about it, but you know, we did find that once I mean the, the bookkeeping practice was really instrumental here in in the sense of when we saw the tool sets could facilitate work being done remotely, um, and again I mentioned the fatigue that I had experienced that Matthew had too of just people only valuing for you for the time that you were there in front of them billing. Um, we just kind of felt and saw opportunities for where that norm could change. Um, and so right around the same time, again, when Matthew was joining up with us and we launched the bookkeeping, we started really, really experimenting with doing the work virtually. Initially, that was, like Matthew mentioned, kind of almost protective of like, hey, we're going to set some boundaries and we're not going to send people on site. But then we started thinking about applications within the rest of the business about could we let CFOs work remotely? Could we work let other team members work remotely? And then... Um, we thought, well, it's just, it's working so far pretty well in the bookkeeping practice. Let's open that opportunity up to other team members and let's see if clients are okay with it. And then the biggest, you know, kind of test of that was when this team member that Matthew mentioned who travels the world, uh, David McLaughlin or DMAC as we call him, um, came to us and said, hey guys, you know, this is awesome that you're embracing more of the remote workforce. Thought I'd let you know that I'm actually, I want to move. And so initially kind of bummed about that because he'd been in Atlanta with us for years, but then he, uh, he mentioned he'd always had a dream to travel the entire world. And, you know, we felt at that point, I, I felt a little bit like I put my foot in my mouth and screwed up and, you know, oh my gosh, what have I just said out loud in front of the team? And now they're holding us accountable, but we figured we better let him try it out. And over the next year, he lived in 26 different countries, wow. had a phenomenal experience. And, um, Clients thought it was one of the coolest things ever. We were pretty scared about it. We thought clients were going to freak out, but actually it became one of our most popular blog series that we put up about where in the world is DMAC and clients <laughs> loved it. And so we just got a lot of really good validation, but um, that was from the team members kind of saying, raising their hand and saying, let me try this and us trusting them and it working. And, and I think that when we see that we go out for and do these employee surveys, which is the most important aspect of, um, of, yeah, it's nice that we get the awards, but we go through that data pretty rigorously on surveys, and we just keep finding over and over that our team is looking for flexibility. Yeah. They want a place that respects and honors their time, and 
Matthew and I have always felt that way, so it's a good natural fit. And that many of the decisions that he and I make about um, everything from strategy to day-to-day tactics, we try our best to think about it in that lens of flexibility. Is it going to facilitate that or impair it? And typically, if it facilitates it, we know we're kind of on directionally correct. And so we just kind of keep going back to, are we providing the team with more flexibility and honoring their time? And we tend to find out that, you know, they give us good feedback on that. And just for context for you, Ryan, and for the listeners, um, we have on an average day in our office, we'll have about uh, five to six people in the office out of the 80. And if you think from a management perspective, what that's forced us to do, it's to create um, tangible kind of results and goals for people um, that are are easily measurable for each of their roles, really defining their roles so that uh, we know that the work's getting done. So people... Um, we've been had a really interesting kind of philosophical discussions about this over the years, but um, it's forced us to have a management philosophy where you can measure people without their presence. And, and, and their when you talk about Kenji and, and Matthew speak about flexibility, like what is flexibility? Is it being able to work from wherever, but you know, having to work a nine to five? Is it being able to work the hours that they want? Like what is what is that flexibility that you provide? So I, I think I would say everybody in our company would tell you that they're on a flexible work arrangement. Um, our employees on the execution side, so we have uh, 65 people in the practice lines, the four practice lines, and about 15 people in the back office. So in the 65 people in the practice lines, one of the things they do when they come on board, they, they tell us how much they want to work. And we design a book of business around that target, uh, which is unlike things we've seen other places. Um, that's a huge thing from a flexibility perspective for them. And then we do, we're not restrictive on when those things get done. Obviously tax is the biggest challenge, right? Cause it has deadlines, but as long as our, you know, practice focus, our, our client focus, people coordinate with their clients and get things done on time. We have the ultimate flexibility. Yeah. Work, work from wherever you want. And just tell us what your expectations are for how much you want to work. And we'll, we'll do our best to meet those. And that's, that's kind of our simple rule. So if someone wants to start at seven in the morning and end a little bit earlier in the afternoon, you're, you're cool with that. Or if someone wants to, you know, take off a little bit earlier on Friday and maybe catch up, you know, during the weekend, like that works for you, that kind of thing. Yeah. We have no line of sight into when people work right now. We don't, yeah. we're just agnostic. We don't, we, yeah. we, we care that, that it's working for them, uh, but we don't yeah. care when the times are. It's, it's yeah, if it works for them and works for clients on deliverables. Then we don't we don't bother checking hours when people yeah. certainly when people clock in or out. If if clients are happy, if the work is done properly, if deadlines are being met, that's ultimately what matters. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And if you want to know, honest, uh, you know, kind of some candor, like for our sales team, like they were the ones that typically are in the office, so. I had to actually push to where I was, uh, where I didn't make them come into the office because I, you know, I got, I found myself reverting back to my public accounting days where they should be here before me and leave after I leave and they should be doing stuff. And now I'm just, okay, here are the results you're supposed to expect, like get them done, you know? And uh, yeah. we've changed that in the last six months to where even our non-client facing folks, uh, we're moving more to results-based management. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. I totally agree with that. And, you know, I've kind of went through a little bit of that myself. And I think one of the interesting things is when you give that kind of flexibility, I think you get the, the most out of your team and the most out of your people. Um, you know, you get to see when people uh, are most productive, uh, even though you might not be, you know, you know, you might not be measuring hours and checking when people clock in and out. You kind of get to know their schedule and their routine to a certain extent. And some people perform a lot better early in the morning and, and you know, tail off earlier in the afternoon. You can see them build their schedule around that and vice versa. Others, uh, you know, like to start a little bit later in the day. That's when they perform best and they like to like maybe work a little bit into the night. You know, so that was, I don't know if you guys have noticed that with your team, but um, each team member develops a bit of a routine about when they like to work and what when they're most productive, essentially. I don't know. Have you, have you guys noticed that with your team as well? Yeah, I, I think we have. I mean, I, the easiest one for us to point to is, you know, even Matthew and I, um, we do, we do, he and I do our kind of one-on-one meeting every week fairly early on Tuesday mornings. Like no one else is kind of around and maybe it's because we're, you know, the old guys or whatever, but like, we just really like that. That's, I know that's my favorite time of the week because we get to really come in and talk about um, all kinds of um, ideas we've got. And it's very strategy focused, not very tactical. And we can kind of riff off of each other and come up with ideas. And that's a time of day. Like for me, Monday is behind me. Monday is a day of really trying to set the stage for the week to be productive. And now I've kind of got that behind me and then Tuesday morning. So it's a, for me, like that, spot i know i've been very intentional with like that's what i feel like i'm hopefully at my at my best um and that's a little bit why we've selected that time in the morning where we feel like we're at the best and i think we've seen other p- team members as well do that as well too you find a lot of a lot of our team meetings tend to be stacked um when people like to meet are usually i'd say between the hours of 10 and kind of one or two we have a very family oriented kind of group and so we 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 used to call it, we kind of call them bus stop hours, if you will. So we find that very naturally our teams like to um, concentrate work toward middle of the day to where either you're out of like all the traffic and chaoticness or maybe getting kids off to school or whatever you may have. So yeah, we certainly have let people um, pick those times and you can kind of start, whether it's in meetings or whether their own work style, you can see them start clustering to whatever their preferences might be. Interesting for sure. Cool. Um the bookkeeping side of things. So that's a relatively recent, I think, addition to the firm, maybe a couple of years. When did you add the bookkeeping side of things to the firm? Uh, when I joined, it was six years ago. I see. Okay. And how how much bookkeeping are you providing? Are you do you have uh, you know a lot of clients where you're performing the bookkeeping? Is a big chunk of them where where they're doing their own bookkeeping? Like, what's your stance on providing those bookkeeping and client accounting services? I think, what was the number? I know we have about 400 clients. I think we have about 300 clients that uh, we we do bookkeeping for. Um, so you're not required to use our bookkeeping to use our CFO and controller service, but you are required to use our bookkeeping to use our tax service. We just built the tax service around the bookkeeping service. Okay. I don't know if that's your question, but um, that's how we think of the world. Um but order magnitude, we'll say 300, about 150 on zero, 150 on QuickBooks Online. Okay. So that, that's a big chunk that you're doing the bookkeeping for. Why do you need to do it for tax, but not for like the, the like CFO services? 
Well, I, I think on the tax, very you know we we approach that one very cautiously, um, especially because that's just not a place where you know, Matthew and I didn't work in tax, being that we're old audit guys and public accounting. So I think we approach that more cautiously, and we knew there was opportunity there, but we really tried to think about that. And, and again, we, we became very, very clear that the real value um, in providing the tax work was when it was paired up with the bookkeeping. We knew that um, we weren't going to have to go through big cleanups you know, of, of work if we were doing the tax, if we were doing the bookkeeping work ourselves. We could be going ahead and reviewing files throughout the year, getting them prepped for tax. So um, that one we just felt was was very interconnected. And we've had to have a discipline of where people come to us and say, well, listen, I, I'm doing my own bookkeeping and I'm fine. I've got someone else doing it, but like, I just want you guys to do tax. Hmm. And that's been difficult to turn that away when you say, no, that's we understand that, but the tax services are just are, are priced in such a way and reserved just for our clients that we're doing the bookkeeping work. We feel like those are very um, interconnected. At the, you know, at the CFO and controller level, we still have quite a quite a few that are um, do, perform the bookkeeping. The transactional work is performed by our own team, but we let that have a little bit more flexibility because we still see a lot of project work, and a lot of it is dependent um, upon having good underlying accounting data. Um, if we get in and a CFO gets in to try to attempt to do some work and the underlying accounting data is bad, then they're very, very quick to say, hey, listen, we need to get some of, before I can even get to this work, I need to deploy some of our team members, some of our solutions here. But in certain cases, we may find that someone might be on a different accounting package. Maybe they're on a Microsoft Dynamics package or on Intact or NetSuite, which is not something that we offer in our bookkeeping um, program today, but they find that that it is relatively well con- well controlled, and we feel that the accounting financial information does have integrity, then we're okay with not mandating that it has to be performed by acuity resources. Got it. Um, which I think is interesting because if you look at most firms, like what you guys are doing, you're mandating a few things. You're mandating the type of software you're going to deal with. You're mandating... Uh, the type of services that a client may have to take if they're interested in tax, for instance. Why do you mandate that kind of stuff? Like, what? How is that helping you guys? I, I think in, in, we get Matthew's take too. But for us, it's pre, you can kind of almost see it in a very binary way. Any our our two advisory practices, bookkeep or sorry, CFO and controller, um, we mandate very little. Under our two compliance practices. Um, that are both value-based fixed pricing, we mandate quite a lot. So at our controller and CFO practice today, those are, those are still hourly-based the way we price those. So we've been pretty specific that if we've gone through the work to really drive down the cost and do fixed pricing for things, we've got to be very diligent about structuring and mandating certain aspects of them. And I think that, I think clients understand that. Um, we've run some experiments before where we've tried to um, not mandate things and, and try to value-based price. We've tried to do value-based pricing um, in you know in the higher-level practices, and we do a little bit of that here and there. But some of those have have not worked very successfully. And so I think it's been our experience that just you know, if we're going to go through the lengths of giving someone upfront, you know, your pricing each month upfront. So there's probably going to be some things that we have to put a box, you know, put inside of a box, if yeah. you will, and be kind of diligent about. That's that's is that fair, Matthew? 
Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Um, I have a couple more questions for you guys uh, before we have to run. Um, one thing is, you know, you guys are an 80-person firm, clearly successful, you know, um, getting some good recognition. Like I said, Accounting Today named you guys uh, one of the best firms to work for in the country, one of the best firms for technology. So definitely forward thinking. You guys have a good culture. What do you do to kind of keep on your toes and continue to push forward and continue to stay ahead of the curve and innovate? Like, what are some of the things that, like, do you have processes around that? You have, you know, regular meetings about this kind of stuff. Like, what what do you do to kind of keep on your toes? I think the biggest thing we've always done is to look outside of accounting uh, when we were leading in that area in accounting. Um, so, for example, we felt like we were above average at growing for accounting firms. So then we went to Saster and uh, went to their conference and uh, because they had they knew how to sell SaaS software. And we're not the best there. We are way behind uh, as an industry of growing and, and selling and scaling. Um, similarly, you know, we did that with our customer success team. We would go to customer success conferences, which kind of, you know, a lot of people don't even have customer success teams. They do. They manage that from the client service personnel. Um, so we, 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 went, we had to go to other industry conferences for that. Um, in the last conference we went to, we went to a managed service provider conference. Uh, we saw a bunch of our business in the future we think is going to be very help, de- help desk-like, mm-hmm. uh, almost like a managed service provider. Um, so we've really done a lot to really be aware that even though we might be leading in some accounting firm categories, that if we look across more progressive industries, we're, we're candidly either behind or, or, or kind of mid, kind of in the center, not in the, the cutting edge. So changing our perspective is the biggest thing I would say. Yeah. And I, and I would say that um, the other thing that we, we do, and, and in large part because we truly do enjoy it, is we spend a lot of time talking to other firm owners. And, um, and it's, it's not to the same degree that Matthew mentioned about us getting outside of our industry, but sometimes we just need to get outside of our own company and not be so insular. And so... It, I, I would love to look back at my calendar and just think of my time this year. I would, I would bet that I probably couldn't even find a day this year that I have not spent in some form of conversation with another firm. Wow. Um, or if I have, I could probably count on one hand. Hmm. And, and that's for me, I get a lot of joy out of that. I just feel like I've got deep friendships, but I also, there's so much to learn there and to be motivated, inspired, uh, held accountable. And so um, I think the thing that we're both that we're saying there is um, taking the time to try to step out of the day-to-day of the practice is very difficult. And so whether that's taking going into different entirely different industries and looking at what they're doing in their conferences or books or podcasts that have nothing to do with the accounting space, or just getting inspiration from those others out there. You know, we formed a a great bond years ago. You know, Ryan, and, and there have been many others that we have too at accounting conferences to where we've kept those conversations going. And so I think we just try to get ourselves out of the day to day because I think as firm owners, 
there is so much work to be done inside of our practices. And if we just let all those things drive our behavior, we'll spend all of our time inside of our practices. And it's going to be very difficult for us to be thinking about ways to innovate and ways to bring some creative change. And so being externally focused is, is a discipline. And I think you can get it from other industries and, and from other practitioners who are out there trying to do the same. Awesome. That's a really good insight. And um, the one thing I want to maybe finish off here with is you guys have a very interesting video series that you post on your Twitter, your, I think it's your Twitter, right? You have yeah. your drink while you think, what is it? Drink while you think, what's it called? Drink while you think. Drink while you think. Yes. Right. Um, so um, what is that exactly? Cause you know, I, I, I do check it out from time to time and uh, there's a, I, I have a few laughs so that you guys have some entertaining uh, material in there. So what is that exactly? Um. I, I don't know what, what, what we visualized it as uh, originally, but one thing uh, we've always talked about marketing is, uh, is like eating our vegetables. So you're always supposed to do things, you know, uh, keep content out there and getting it fresh. And one of the things we know is that uh, video is going to be part of the future of how you interact with people. Uh, so uh, it's the part of eating our vegetables with video that we enjoy. And one thing we enjoy, like Kenji said, is talking to other firm owners, talking to each other. And uh, we found that some other people also enjoy getting to know us that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we've had some great experiences, just people reaching out to us that want to meet us and, and have great conversations and continue some of the things we start there. Yeah, it, that's a, that's really well said. It, it's just, it is just a tool or avenue for us to try to... Um, try to get better at and understand a marketing medium that we think is going to be more and more important. And so we just felt like what's the easiest way to do that. And for us, Matthew and I love having, having drinks with friends and just talking about things going on in our lives, whether it's being firm owners, talking about sports, talking about current events, being fathers of teenagers, whatever comes to top of mind. And so, um, it's fun for us. We knew that we have to make things fun. I particularly have to make things kind of enjoyable and fun for them to be sustainable. And we've tried too many other experiments in marketing where we're like, oh, this is just going to be a grind. And so Well, you're we drinking hope a beer we, yeah. while you're doing it. So I don't know <laughs> yeah. how much of a grind that is, right? <laughs> exactly. So that's by design. We're going to make it something that's enjoyable. <laughs> and, and we do have a lot of fun, a lot of fun with it. We're actually about to post some uh, make it a little bit easier for some of our friends and others in the industry to come join us. So we're going to hopefully have up pretty soon kind of a quick sign up for like, hey, if anyone's free, just join us and and do more of it. But be prepared to uh, go off topic and and uh, and to kind of ramble a bit. But I'm glad I'm glad you've checked it out and got a few laughs. Out it's of it. definitely it definitely sustainable. I am I can sustainably drink beer on a regular basis with people. And if people <laughs> want to check it out, um, where could they follow you on Twitter to to see these videos? Uh, I'm the tech CPA on Twitter. That's the easy one. I don't know even how, how to subscribe to our YouTube channel, but maybe Kenji does. Matthew, yeah. See, see, Matthew's not quite picking up how the video stuff <laughs> works, but yeah, you can go to you can go out there on YouTube and certainly search for Acuity's channel, or you can even type in "Drink While You Think" into YouTube and find the series. You also we usually post them on our Acuity um, underscore Co Twitter handle. Post it out along with. Acuity Financial Experts on LinkedIn. If you follow that, they typically post it there too. So um, 
yep, those are a couple places you can find it. Probably just go right to YouTube and subscribe there. We needed to be a little bit better about putting something on the actual website, but I think we were a little, we weren't quite sure if we wanted to put that quite on the website today. Maybe but not yet. Maybe that'll make it on there. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly, right. Yeah. No, I, I think it's cool and it's interesting to see how you're trying out different things and getting out of your comfort zone a bit. And uh, I, I certainly find it entertaining, so 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 keep keep up with it. So guys, I just really want to thank you for your time. Appreciate all your insights. Uh, you said a lot of uh, very interesting things that it could be help. I think could be helpful for others out there. And uh, again, appreciate your time and thanks for joining in. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Ryan.